Toasted Sister Podcast, radio about indigenous food. I'm Andy Murphy. It's Sunday, March 22nd, and as you know, we're dealing with COVID-19 or the coronavirus. Um, all events I was supposed to be a part of, including Indigipopex here in Albuquerque, uh, are postponed and canceled. Uh, right now, restaurants are closed except for delivery and takeout, and it's a really, really sad thing to see you guys. All the indigenous chefs and food entrepreneurs you've heard from on this show, they're all being affected by canceled events and orders to close their doors because of this virus. Earlier this month, I was in Vancouver in British Columbia, Canada, and I visited Salmon and Bannock, the only brick-and-mortar indigenous restaurant in Vancouver. Uh, For photos from this visit, you can go to ToastedSisterPodcast.com. And keep in mind, this was a couple of weeks ago before everything... um, before everything hit the fan. And because of the virus right now, the Salmon and Bannock dining room is closed for the time being, but food is still available for delivery via Uber Eats. And and if you need more information on that, follow Salmon and Bannock Bistro on Facebook. And while you're there, check in on all the indigenous restaurants and food businesses. All small businesses actually need our support right now. And if you're bored at home, there are 61 other Toasted Sister episodes in the archives for you to listen to. This is episode 62, and here is my chat with Inez Cook, the owner of Salmon and Bannock. Hi, my name is Inez, and I am New Hulk, and I am from Bella Coola originally, and I grew up in Vancouver, and I'm the co-founder of Salmon and Bannock Bistro located in Vancouver. So we opened Salmon and Bannock um, during the Vancouver Winter Olympics in 2010, and we just celebrated our 10th anniversary, February 15th. We serve only wild fish and free-range organic game, and our slogan is hashtag we got game. So being the only uh, indigenous uh, brick-and-mortar restaurant here in Vancouver, um, do you, do you, what, what kind of goal do you set for yourself in terms of like representation of indigenous food? I mean, my goals are to stay as authentic as possible. All of our staff is indigenous, and we take all indigenous ingredients, and we serve it with a modern palate. And when I do my shopping, my first choice is First Nation, second choice is local, Third choice is Canada. Last choice is Turtle Island. That's how I do all of my shopping. So what's been maybe one of the most challenging things about, um, you know, just uh, operating day to day here in uh, Vancouver? Challenging things for the restaurant industry here in Vancouver is being the only indigenous restaurant. People often think that it's a niche and they think that we're, you know, must be doing amazing because we're a niche market. But that's not true because we fall off the radar because people say, let's go for sushi, let's go for pizza, let's go for Italian, let's go for dim sum. But they don't say, let's go for indigenous. And uh, it's not part of the regular dialogue for people. And um, it's really hard getting a lot of our traditional ingredients that we're able to serve and they're not available on the commercial market. And so we are 
presently working with our health inspector trying to work on some food sovereignty to bring some more traditional dishes to our menu. Why are you working with a health inspector? Are some things not um, maybe regulated or welcome here for uh, public consumption, I guess? Most of our traditional foods are not commercially available, so we're not permitted to serve them. Are there any other issues that you guys are concerned about, just being a, a food business here in Vancouver? Being any business right now in Vancouver with the coronavirus, it's been dead. Like seriously worried about going bankrupt, dead. And uh, yeah, and we're number three on TripAdvisor, best restaurant in Vancouver. That has nothing to do with being Indigenous, that has to do with delivering quality products. But yeah, I mean, right now tourism at its, at its low all-time low. People are afraid to travel. So running any business right now is really challenging. It's always been hard to, to try to do cartwheels and somersaults and be the only one in town. It's been challenging. And considering all of my team is Indigenous, I have a smaller hiring pool too. Yeah, I didn't think uh, too much about um, coronavirus. I just got on a plane and came here. Uh, even though I did see, um, you know, some posters and some warnings along the way in the airports coming here. But um, yeah, in every single uh, Lyft drive, you know, Lyft uh, that I've been in today, they've been talking about, um, you know, tourism being affected by uh, coronavirus. And it's it's uh, sad to see that it's trickled down to, to here as well. Um, but... Uh, uh, you know wh what um, you know you guys have been open for a while uh, what do you um, maybe envisioning for the future for the next 10 years or so well I'm still a full-time flight attendant and I can't quit flying for another two years so once I finish my two years left then I can look at growing and expanding my business and I've got lots of amazing ideas I just have to see in the next couple of years what would be right, like the right direction for me to take the business. There's so many different options. Um, one is definitely moving to a larger location. There's there's uh, some property from one of the local nations that's going to be waterfront. So that would be really ideal, having a nice, beautiful waterfront restaurant. That'd be like amazing. Um, we're expanding our catering a lot. We do lots of catering. And... Uh, yeah, there's, there's so many options and opportunities. I just don't have time to, to do them properly. And if I can't do it 100%, then I'd like to decline until I'm ready. But even like YVR Airport has asked me to do like a, even a pop-up. So that could be interesting too. Uh, that would complement all the, the really nice, you know, Pacific Northwest art um, that's there. Oh, tell me a little bit about your, your upbringing. Like, you know, how did you grow up and how did you, um, you know, come to be a businesswoman here? I grew up part of the 60s group. So I was part of the group that was taken away and adopted out to non-Indigenous people. And uh, I grew up without my heritage and I got reintroduced to my biological family through the restaurant. For my listeners who are um, who don't know what the 60s scoop is, can can you talk a little bit about that? Expand on that a little bit. So, well, everyone's probably heard about the residential schools. So, um, originally, the government went into the communities and sent smallpox-infected blankets to the communities to kill them off. And once they didn't kill everybody, then they started these schools. 
and they took the kids and they put them in these schools away from their families, um, away from their culture. And they weren't allowed to speak their language or practice their traditions. And then as they grew up, they started having children and the government went, oh no, now what? Now these dirty Indians are having babies, quick, take them away and adopt them out to white people. That's what happened. And uh, I actually wrote a children's book called The 60 Scoop, and it is available on Amazon in Canada and the U.S. It's in English and French. What year was that? The 60 Scoop? No, 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 um, the, the book. The book just came out last year. Okay. Yeah. So I always like to to focus on um, entrepreneurship. That that's like one of my favorite topics in, uh, you know, just the larger topic of food. Um, but what would your advice be to young entrepreneurs, people in, in other cities, other tribes who are wanting to open a restaurant? I mean, it's like every chef, every foodie's dream to open up their own restaurant. Well, I didn't do the background. Um, that I should have done prior to opening the restaurant. And had I done all the right steps, I probably would not have opened the restaurant because it's overwhelming and it's really, really expensive. Um, even now, I mean, it's insane. Um, I would recommend, and I always recommend people uh, possibly start out with a small catering, do it right, and build a name for yourself. And then once you have a good name for yourself, then you can look at expanding um, into a restaurant. The one thing with the restaurant that people don't understand, like it sounds so glamorous, like owning a restaurant and, you know, being able to sit there and chat to the customers and stuff. But as an entrepreneur, you have to do every single thing that's needed. So if it's, you know, cleaning the toilet or dealing with a flood or, or staff doesn't show up or there's so many different things that happen that you have to be prepared and ready for all the time. And people don't really think about that aspect. And the other thing is, is that with catering, you know, 100 people, you're catering for 100 people. You know you need food for 100 people and it's paid for. Every single day with a restaurant, it's like a big guessing game. What are they going to order? What if the food goes bad? Then I have to toss it. Then that's money in the bin. Then what? I have to buy more food tomorrow and play another guessing game tomorrow. So um, it's really, really challenging. And it's, it's. Like I said, it sounds a lot more glamorous than it actually is. And um, we're really fortunate. We, we built a really good name for ourselves and a really good brand. But um, it's, it's challenging too. And like with catering, often people will be like, oh, that's out of our budget. Can we use farm salmon? And I'm like, no, but we only serve wild salmon. And we would never just serve farm salmon just because it's in your budget. We'd rather, we can serve something else that's in your budget, but we don't, we're not going to serve farm salmon because that goes against our brand, you know. There's big things that you have to really be aware of. And if you're going to open up a, a business or restaurant, you have to build the right team and they have to be on the same page as you. If you're not good at something, that's okay. Find somebody that's good at it and build your team that way. But everybody has to be like-minded. You know, there's going to be some hard days ahead and that's okay. You know, if you have the passion and the determination, you can get through those hard days. As long as you have the right team on your side, you know. Sometimes you can't afford to pay them a lot right at the beginning. But you can do little nice things for them that show that they're appreciated. And, and company culture is actually the most important thing in building a, a team. I wish I would have known that prior to opening. 
And like another thing is, is a lot of times people think, oh, hire your family. That's not necessarily a good thing because a lot of times, you know, family takes each other for granted and there could be fights within the family. And when you're running a business, it's very hard to keep family and friendship separate from the business. And that's so important to run your business successfully that there has to be the respect that it's still a business. So if you can leave the the friendship and the family outside the door and be in the business and be in the business, then great. But if you don't think you can, then I would look at really making sure you do your research and building your right team. And it'll keep your relationships with your loved ones like strong and they can be your mentors. They can do other things, but maybe necessarily not part of your actual business. Wow, uh, I think that's um, uh, very helpful. Um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of restaurateurs uh, who who have that kind of advice. Too. I love to ask them that question because they're like, "Oh, oh my God, all this stuff I I should have known. I should have done my research." Um, but uh, you know, it's cool to hear their story now and be in their restaurant right now, and you know, listening to the kitchen back there. They're getting ready to to start serving food today, um, but. Um, so you're a flight attendant. You've been all over the world. Uh, do you like to eat all over the world? And, and what's, uh, what's uh, maybe one of your favorite cuisines anywhere in the world? And how do you bring that experience of eating around into your business here? It's a very interesting question, Andy, because I, um, my dream was to have a restaurant and to take people on a journey. And I wanted to because I've been flying now for 29 years and I've lived all over the world. I lived in the Middle East. I've lived in India. I've lived in Africa. I've lived everywhere. I really wanted people to come here to my restaurant and feel like they've traveled. But I never realized that the journey that I'm taking everybody on is my personal journey. And I'm taking everybody on my very personal journey, learning about my own heritage and people feel that when they come here and it's really really special it's more than i ever could have imagined and it's more than just a restaurant here it's it really is and um it's it's amazing how it's turned out that way because i had no idea when i started that that's what it was going to be so when you say um you know your your personal kind of journey your personal story is here does that come come down to the art and just the aesthetics of of this place the personal journey is when I opened the restaurant, it was all over the media that a New Hulk had opened this restaurant, but the New Hulk community didn't know me because I was adopted. So they thought it wasn't true and they sent in spies. And one lady was asking me questions and I answered what I knew, but um, one of the questions was my biological mother's first name. So I told her and she was on the phone and when I came back with the, her tea, she stood up with her arms extended and she said, let me be the first to welcome you home, we're family. And then I got introduced to an uncle and he had promised my late biological mother that he would find me. And when he met me here, he did a blessing for the restaurant and he gave me, he said, your name is gonna be Snitsmana, which was my biological grandmother's name. And I didn't even know what that meant. But then the chief of our family came here and said, Uncle Donald is here. He passed away, but he told me that your name was going to be Snitsmana. You need to come to Bella Coola to a three-day potlatch and receive your name and get reintroduced to our community. And so that's exactly what I did. And so that was the very personal journey through this restaurant. And since then, I've met 
hundreds of relatives. And it's funny because I ask my team all the time, like, what's your favorite meal? And how can we incorporate that with our ingredients and or an essence of that or whatever? And so it's really cool because I get to I still continue to see food trends around the world and I get to see different types of cuisine. And, and you know, I, I mean, I lived in the Middle East and I love Lebanese food a lot. And I love like Mediterranean food, that freshness. And, you know, you could be in Tuscany and they give you a tomato and a piece of bread, a dry bread. And it's like one of the most delicious things you've ever had in your life. And you're like, how can that be? Like, how can this dry bread and a piece of tomato be so delicious? And it is. And I've had those moments, you know, but we're so fortunate. We can go shopping in our backyard here as well. It's just not that same tomato that we get in Tuscany. <laughs> we don't have the same weather. <laughs> yeah, uh, Middle Eastern food is some of my favorite food as well. Um, what, what's one thing um, you, th- you know, this native food movement, you know, we're starting to think about native food. We're starting to see restaurants popping up, catering companies popping up, uh, native chefs just like rising up the ranks um, and making a name for themselves in, in even mainstream um you know, food culture. Uh, what, what's one thing um, you would like to say about indigenous food? Maybe one thing that people get wrong about indigenous food. I think that there needs to be more restaurants, more, there should be all levels. It should be just as easy as going for sushi or, or you know, Chinese or whatever you're going for. Um, one thing that people get wrong is they call us a theme. And that's what makes me go crazy because it's not an indigenous themed restaurant. We're not a theme. We've always been here and we're still here. And, you know, you go for an Italian meal and it's not an Italian themed restaurant. And nobody would ever dare call it that. So though that's the thing that gets me going the most is calling us a theme. You know, it's not a theme park. And uh, people having stereotypes, that's really, really challenging. And the fact, like, in Canada, there's over 600 nations. And in British Columbia, there's over 200 of those 600 nations. So just a stone's throw away, there's a different language and a different culture. And so just understanding, like, where are your feet? Which land are you on? Like, just kind of, like, opening your your mind and your, your sentiment to just kind of going, oh, okay. You know, here, when we say we're on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish people, it's the Squamish, the Musqueam, and the Tsleil-Waututh people right here. That's what Vancouver is on. Just understanding what does that mean instead of just saying it for saying it, you know, and actually understanding a land acknowledgement where you are and who are the people here and who were the, the first people here and what was their diet and why was their diet like that? Oh, maybe because they had to smoke the fish because, you know, that was... They would only get fish for the one season and then they would have to smoke it for the rest of the season. They could feed their families or or they would jar or can it or whatever different, you know, methods that all the different indigenous people have. Um, I think indigenous should just be like, I'm so happy it's popping up everywhere and it's we need more. And there should be a high end. There should be bistros. There should be cafes. There should be food trucks, more food trucks. There should be, you know, at YVR, at food courts. It should be common. Like, you know, you can just choose. Like when you go for Greek food, there's like usually 20 of them side by side. And you can go, oh, this one's great for Moussaka. This one has great Suvalaki. This one has great Baba Ganesh. Like whatever. Like you can go figure it out. And because there's so much selection that you can actually figure out who has the best of what. Whereas when you're the only show in town, it's 
it's uh, a little bit challenging. And, and sometimes people come in and, and sometimes they expect a history lesson coming in. Sometimes it's a compliment, sometimes it isn't. We're not a circus act in the corner and we're not here to entertain you. And uh, we're happy to share our culture and showcase it, but just kind of honor that when you step into Indigenous places. What's one of the most rewarding parts about being a, a restaurateur? Probably one of the most rewarding parts about being a restaurateur here is the sense of, well, here especially, like it, it feels like community and, and my team is like family to me. And I feel really blessed and fortunate that we built this together and and seeing the guests leaving happy and and I mean so many write amazing reviews and and that's a blessing it's it's helped us like through the the slow season you know people check TripAdvisor and Yelp and what have you and it helps and really being able to showcase just showcase our our heritage here with so much pride that's really been rewarding and um, I try to support up-and-coming artists. And it, if you look around at the art and you see in the walls, it's traditional values with the modern viewpoint a lot of times. And it's just like our food. And uh, all of our wines come from Indigenous wineries as well. Yes, yeah, so we have Indigenous World Winery as well as Inkameep Winery. And those are both in British Columbia. And then we've just started a new partnership with a Maori winery, uh, Kono and we're going to be launching that uh, in the next couple of weeks. So we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, I was talking to somebody about um, coming here and they're like, oh, you got to try all the wines because they're, they're from indigenous wineries. I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you so, for lifting Uber. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't have my vehicle here. Um, but could I, well, I could probably get all of these online, right? I don't have to, because I can't smuggle it on the plane, right? They have to go in your check bag. In my check bag, okay. All right. Um, well, is there anything else you'd like to say about being a, being a business owner, about the food, about your crew? I think there's 10 of us here, and we're from nine different nations. And so it's been pretty cool because, because everyone's been f coming from different nations. We can talk about different cultures from different nations and, and different ideas with food. And a lot of times, like when we have our meetings before we do menu changes and stuff, it's really cool. We'll be like, oh, have you ever tried this or have you tried that? And it's like, oh my God, I never thought about that. Or sometimes what I'll do is I'll surprise them and I'll just order something and I won't even tell them that I've ordered it. And then it'll come in and then they'll open it up and it's like Christmas. We're like, oh my God, we got elk steaks. And then they can go to town and have get creative and I love that. I had a tasting of all the flavorful wines Inez mentioned and a wonderful and very filling dinner including crazy delicious cedar jelly on some bannock, one of the best wild rice dishes I ever had, and oolakan, a fish so delicious it was traded like gold among the indigenous people here. And then I bothered the folks in the kitchen. What are you preparing over here? Uh, this is the <laughs> the salmon pouch. So we wrap up the salmon. Um, we make a salmon sauce with white wine base. And 
and then we add it to the bottom of the, or we add it onto a Hadaguay kelp, and then wrap up the salmon with it and make a pesh out of it. And then we sous vide it. Oh, nice. Oh, it's because it's the plastic bag. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so what is your uh, first and last name and, and your position? Uh, Janine Delorme Bird, and I am one of the lead chefs. Uh, how is this First Nation? Oh, right. yes. Thank you. And you, what's your name? And where uh, are you from? I'm Seth Daniels. Uh, I'm from Lac La Ronde, Saskatchewan, and I'm Cree. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you um, a head chef? So, uh, um, I guess my position would be sous chef, line cook. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. What are you making right now? I'm just preparing a salad for half and half for a main. Okay. Half salad, half wedges. And I saw you poking around in the oven. What was that? Um, the burgers get cooked for a whole 20 minutes, so they have to be on, um, yeah, you get 20, 10 minutes each side, now just bleeding it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. And you, you're the dishwasher. Yeah. Um, who are you, and uh, where do you come from? My name is Ryan. I come from Surrey, all the way out in Surrey. <laughs> all right, where's that at? How far from here? Uh, for driving, probably a 30-minute drive okay. down that way. All right. How old are you? Seventeen. Oh, okay. What's uh, what are you learning back here doing dishes? Uh, uh, there are quite a few dishes that yeah. come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, I, I, there's I, lots of food that you have to throw out. Oh, it's yeah. kind of saddening. Oh, yeah. yeah. I talked to a lot of uh, chefs and restaurant uh, owners, and it seems like a lot of them start as dishwashers. Oh yeah. Um, yeah uh, do you want to be a Do you want to be in the culinary uh, field when you get older? Oh yeah. I'm actually in the culinary trades program right now. Cool. Yeah. In my last year of high school. Nice. Awesome. Well, good luck. Thank you. So, did, did you put together the um, wild rice dish? No, that's Janine. Oh, okay. Janine, I had that a wild rice dish with a poached egg on top. It was so good. It was wonderful. Yeah. I had lots of wild rice all over the place and that. That was probably one of the best wild rice dishes I've had. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> you guys do good work back here. Everything was delicious. If you want to support the Toasted Sister podcast, tell all your friends about this show. You can also visit the Give and Buy page on the website. Toasted Sister is supported by the Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation. It plays regularly on the river. That's R-I-V-R. On KCZY, Navajo Technical University's radio station, and KGLP in Gallup. Intro and outro music is created by CWION. Check out this band's music on Bandcamp and at CWION.com. That's CWAYON.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Andy Murphy. Mm-hmm.